Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've written so much in your word and you've shared it with us regarding money management. And we pray that you'll help us to learn this principle well today so that we can practice in our lives something that will be valuable for each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to talk to you about uh, debt-free living. Well, I can tell you that I've been in debt and I've been out of debt and out of debt is a whole lot better. Uh, so you'll find out. Uh, the Bible says the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the servant of the lender. This is Proverbs 22, verse 7. By the way, the book of Proverbs has much about money management and the 22nd chapter has lots of stuff in it. Anybody know what the verse right before this one is? It's verse 6, of course, but what does it say? Train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. So if you learn about money management when you're young, it's going to benefit you your whole life and I think you'll find it enjoyable. Why debt is growing in the United States? Really, really interesting. We have a consumptive lifestyle. You know that in the last few years, most Americans have not saved any money at all. The most amazing thing is, uh, well, well, we won't talk about all those things. North Americans are spending at a rate never before seen by previous generations. Why? Well, there's a great variety of items for purchase, for example, in all kinds of stores on the Internet. Uh, you can find almost anything you want on the Internet or going to big you know, malls like Hamilton Place, whatever. Buying non-essential things just for fun or because they were bargains. Current generation's lifestyle philosophy, we don't believe in delayed gratification. In other words, we need it now, pay for it later. Pretty interesting. Well, there's su suggested solutions. Uh, I'm going to go really quickly through this because I want to get into the student loan thing since it's really important for you. So another one is the ease of credit. Do you remember that in the last five or six years, you could get a home, uh, a loan to build a house or to buy a new home, even if you did not have a job? This is absolute madness. They call them Nina loans, no income, no asset verification, up to $500,000. Many of the people who are having their homes foreclosed on right now are people who had 100% financing, which is bad news to begin with. There's a whole chapter, by the way. I didn't mention this to you, but we have the new book, Faith and Finance, and this is a gold mine of stuff. If you learn and practice what's this in there, you're going to be really somebody's really good spouse someday if you're not already. And there's a leader's guide also, really valuable stuff. More people divorce over money management than any other topic. It's very interesting to know this. Okay, so we're going to go out ease of credit. People could get a loan. By the way, you don't want more than 80% loan if you even get a loan on a house. Anybody know why not? Two reasons. One, you don't want to get upside down the loan if the values go down. And another one is you have to pay private mortgage insurance. PMI during that time that you have a, a mortgage under a certain level. So it's easy to get credit. Very interesting. Prior to the recent economic downturn, the average person could acquire credit with little or no difficulty. Uh, here's another real interesting one. At the end of 2007, the Americans carried about 90 billion in credit card debt alone. This means 90 billion carried over from month to month. That's unpaid balances on credit cards. It's interesting. By the way, I'll just tell you this. Credit card companies are not your friend. Do you understand that? I, what did I say? 900. Uh, yeah, 900 billion. That's the right word. 900 billion. Now, the real interesting part about all of this is in October of last year alone, in one month, credit card companies charged their customers 1.4 billion just in late fees, just in late fees. And by the way, if your credit card payment is a half hour late, 39 bucks. So it's only gonna be on your credit card next time, even though you tried to pay it off. Very interesting stuff that I want, uh, that we could see. Another one is ease of credit. Uh, we can talk about it, adult toys. Uh, 
most of you know when you drive by neighborhoods, you see people with travel trailers in their yards or ski-doos or, you know, the, uh, all kind of stuff uh, that they hardly ever use. Well, somebody, and, and the, the see the, oh, I'm going to tell you something. You know that in Luke, the 12th chapter, the story of the rich fool is there, and it talks about this guy that wanted to tear down his barn and build bigger barns? Well, we're thinking, well, that's way back then. Let me tell you an interesting phenomenon. More than 80% of Americans cannot park their car in their own garage. You believe I'm telling you the truth? Why? Because it is stuffed with junk. And another thing is, one of the fastest growing businesses in America is the used store at places. Mm -hmm. You know, where they have these little places where you can rent a place and put your stuff in there? So the basement's filled, the attic's filled, the garage is filled, and then they rent something. And a lot of stuff they hardly ever use. And I actually know a man who has 200 units of used store, an Adventist guy. Uh, and a, uh, no, he doesn't, he doesn't have stuff in there. He owns them. At any rate, he said, most of the time, the people do not have enough value in it to pay for one month's rent. And they keep this stuff. It's incredible. Uh, they buy expensive items they can't afford. Among these adult toys are cars and pleasure boats, motorcycles, jet skis, and snowmobiles, and so on. Well, we're going to go on here. Another one eating out, one of my favorite places. Uh, but I'm going to tell you something interesting. If you eat out once a day, it will double the amount of money you spend in a month on food. Isn't that incredible? Now, I want to tell you something else. I actually counseled a couple one time that ate out all three meals every day in their whole family. It's amazing, really, when you see these kind of things. Oh, let me put this one back here. A recent USDA survey nationwide reported that 70% of teenage males eat out an average day and, uh, they, on an average day, and the percentage of food money spent on meals eaten away from home averaged 40% plus of their food. Well, another one is make eating out special. Another one, unexpected bills. I'm going really through fast to this. This is why people are getting in debt. So if you get a bill you're not expecting, well, just put it on the credit card. Three spending areas that cause many families problems, motor vehicles, by the way, in the book here, I just want to tote this over and over again. I am not getting a cent. I edited this book and wrote most of it, but we've dedicated it to the North American Division, and there's no royalties to me or anyone. But I want to tell you, there's amazing stuff in here. There's a chapter on how to make major purchases, how to buy a car and get a good deal, how to pay, purchase a house and not get upside down on the mortgage. You understand, it's basic, really, really good stuff. So I, I really would highly recommend it. Medical expenses, of course, can do something. Household expenses beyond the mortgage payment, so such as taxes, insurance, and so on. Uh, another one is uh, reduction in income. A lot of people make their budget based on two people working, and if one person loses their job or the lady gets pregnant and you know, has to stop work for a while, they can just ruin the budget. It, it's really, really bad. So th you can see the ideas there. But I want to get into this idea of, uh, well, another one is the lack of a household budget. Some people don't have anything, kind of a budget. They just pay whatever squeaks the loudest at the end of each month. But what we're talking about is have a plan, have a budget, and so on. Uh, what I'm going to do is look at the biblical perspective on debt right now. The Holy Scriptures contain at least 26 references to debt, and all are negative. Well, the Bible does not say that it's a sin to borrow money. It does speak about the consequences of doing so. So we're going to look at the seven biblical principles regarding indebtedness. Form of bondage. Now, this is very, very interesting. The person who you owe money can actually control you. Do you understand that? I'll give you an illustration. 
happened right here in the Southern Union. I was speaking at one of the churches in the Southern Union, and a late, this is several years ago, so the, the young girl who was involved is probably married and has kids by now, but anyway, what happened was uh, they wanted, they, they came to me after church at Potluck, and they said, we know you're an attorney, and would you represent us? And I said, well, I'm not on Sabbath. You talk to me after Sunday. Well, it was a winter time, and so when we finished, they came to me at the end of it, and they said, uh, something really weird happened to us, and we want you to sue the government. And I said, well, listen, I'm just poor old me, and uh, the government has this big bevy of attorneys that are being paid at taxpayers' expense, so how do you expect to win? How much money is involved? And they said, well, it's about $800. And I said, listen, no attorney is going to take a case for less than $10,000. You just learned a bad lesson. What is it? So here's what she said. She said, our daughter was a student at Southern. I'm not going to tell you the lady's name. I don't even remember it. The girl is you know, long gone. She's a mature adult somewhere now. But anyway, she said she went to school her first year, and uh, she used up all of her money. So when she went home in the summer, she got a really good job. And uh, at the end of the summer, she's going to make plans to go back to school. And her employer said, we really enjoyed you having here this summer. In fact, we would like to offer you a full-time job for all of this next school year. Why don't you talk with your parents and see if you figure it out. If you work here all year, you can save up a bunch of money. And then next year, when you go back to school, you'll, have, you know, you'll be a whole lot better off. Plus, you, you know, get work experience and all that. Well, ended up, she decided to do that. So with her summer work and all falls work and so on, when she did her 1040 EZ form, this is very, very interesting, uh, it said that she was going to get about $800 back. What I didn't tell you was in her first year, she needed to borrow some money from a student loan. Now, guys, you understand there's fine print on everything. The fine print says if you owe the government any money, and you have a tax return due, they will apply it to your debt. Read student loan in this case. So she got this, she filed her 1040 easy form and a few weeks later she got the letter back and she just knew inside was her check. Everybody's so excited about getting their tax return check. And she opened it up and said, you have correctly figured your taxes and we've applied the proceeds of your return to your student loan. They didn't even ask her, they just did it because they were nice. <laughs> Do you understand? The bottom line is the borrower is the slave of the lender. That's the story. Okay, uh, to avoid bondage when borrowing, always have these three rules. Borrow only on items that appreciate in value. Now, this is interesting also. Uh, borrow with a short-term loan as possible. Borrow at the best interest rate that's available also. Another one is a lack of contentment, but Paul said, this is reasons people get into debt, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And this is Philippians 4, 11. Here's another one. This is, I mentioned this to you earlier. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Would you like for me to give you a profound statement? Here it is. Take two Bible verses, this one in Matthew 6, 19, where it says, do not store up treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but do store up treasures in heaven. Does anybody know how you store up treasures in heaven? Yeah. Yeah. There's two ways, help others and, and give to advance the cause of God. This is a biblical concept. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story of the rich young ruler. And he said, if you sell what you have and give to the poor, come and follow me, then you will have treasure stored up in heaven. 
So when you help others, God puts it to your account in heaven. By the way, everybody has an account in heaven, and if you help others and help advance the cause of God, listen carefully. We're told in the book, Desire of Ages, 523, when you get there, God will give you the money back with interest. A lot of people don't even know that. I mean, this is incredible when you think about it. It's amazing. We have a whole chapter on that, the rewards of faithfulness in the new book. So I hope that you'll take advantage of that, getting it at the Adventist Book Center. Well, here's the story that I was going to tell you, though. The next verse says, but do store up treasures in heaven. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Isn't that interesting? You get the concept? You're not going to take anything with you, but you can send it on ahead. And I think that's very interesting stuff. Okay. Lack of financial contentment. The third one is debt presumes upon the future. In other words, when you, this is one of the problems with debt. If you borrow, what does that mean? That you're going to continue working and you're going to continue having the same income and you're going to be able to make your payments. That's the problem. Okay. Avoid get-rich-quick schemes. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. Uh, we've already looked at that one, so I'm going to go on to the next one here. Get-rich-quick schemes. Then another one is refuse to be surety for others. Now, I cannot emphasize this enough. Listen carefully. You should never co-sign a loan for anyone. Did you hear what I said? That's what surety is. The Bible says in four places in Proverbs alone that you should never co-sign for anyone. Now, I don't know if you know what this is about. If you don't, praise God. But I'm going to tell you, somebody will ask you to do this in the future. And the Bible says you should never do it. So here's the story. Let's pretend like you guys are all bankers here. And I'm coming to you for a loan. What are you going to ask me to do first thing? fill out a balance sheet of what my liabilities and my assets are and see what my net worth is. Then you're going to ask me, what is your social security number? Right? Everybody here has one. And I tell them, and then they type in that number into the Equifax or TransUnion or uh, one of those databases where, you know, you're on the, on, they have your credit report, uh, Equifax. And I'm going to tell you something. Believe it or not, every debt I have will come up there. And if I've co-signed for anybody, that's going to be in my credit report also until it's paid clear off. The interesting part is what I'm going to tell you next. Let's just say that I came to you for a loan and I have recently paid off my car. I'm current on my house payment. I don't owe any credit card debt and I've worked at the same job for 15 years. Would you give me a loan under those circumstances? Probably yes. Okay, now let's change it just a little bit. And that is, let's say that when you study me a little bit and learn my finances, that I'm two months behind on my house payments, they've just repossessed my car, and I owe 35000 on credit card debts, and I haven't worked for six months. Would you give me a loan under those circumstances? The answer is not just no, no way. You get the idea? But they make their money by loaning and getting interest back, renting you the money. So they'll say, if you can get your pastor or one of your friends at church to come co-sign for you, we'll give you the money and hold them responsible. The Bible says you should never, ever do that. Listen carefully. The Bible encourages us to be helpful, but says you should not become responsible for other people's debts. That's the difference. Do you see the difference? Now, I'm going to tell you two stories so this will impress you 
really a must. I've heard hundreds of these. I've been teaching this for like 25 years, so I mean, they just come all the time. Every time I tell this, someone tells me another one. I wish you had been here just a year ago or something, I'll say. I was at a big camp meeting, and a couple came to me in their 70s. They understand they're retired, and they're not really gainfully employed anymore, but during their working years, they had saved about $60,000, and they were planning to use that money for, you know, re incidental expenses during their retirement time, like replacing their car, or taking a cruise, or doing something nice. Well, their son, who was in his early 50s, found this wonderful opportunity to go into business for himself. But unfortunately, he had poor credit and couldn't get the loan to get the business started. So he came to his parents and he said, I need somebody to co-sign for me to get a loan for, to start this business. Everybody in here already knows the end of the story, but I'll just tell it to you anyway real quickly. Here's what happened. He said, I know you've got that money in the bank, and I'm not going to touch your money. All I'm going to ask you to do is co-sign for me so I can get this loan. Well, they did. Of course, he started the business, and as almost all new businesses do, something like 80% of new business started in America fail in the first year because they're undercapitalized or not a good idea, the person's not a hard enough worker or whatever. At any rate, his business failed. Of course, he didn't have anything in it except the borrowed money, but he, didn't, he was like, you can't get blood out of a turnip, you understand? So the bank came after the co-signers, and they took the parent 60000 and it is, you know what the next word is? Gone forever. They'll never live long enough to earn it back. So gone are their new cars and their vacations and their new clothes and all those kinds of things. But the lady piped up and said, but he said he was sorry. That's the end of the story. Isn't that incredible? We don't have time to go into any more of these. I could tell you many more, but they're very interesting. Here's one of them. He who is surety for a stranger will suffer for it, but he who hates surety is secure. A man devoid of understanding shakes hands in pledge and becomes surety for his friend, Proverbs 17. And another one, don't be one of these who shakes hands in a pledge, one of those who is surety for his debts. That's Proverbs 22, verse 6. And I also have Proverbs 6, 1 to 5 down here. Now I'm going to tell you something interesting. Somebody will come to you someday after you're out in, the, in your own local church and they'll say, you know, I'm kind of down on my luck a little bit and uh, we really need a little short loan and what we need is one of our friends to co-sign for us. Would you be willing to do that? And you'll say, well, I don't know. And they'll say, but you're a Christian, aren't you? And the Bible says you should help the poor and it does say that. But your answer is when it comes to co-signing, the Bible says I should never do it. Do you understand? It's very, very clear. So you're following God's will in this, and that's important. Okay, we'll go on here. Sixth one, debt can erode our Christian witness. Proverbs, or excuse me, Psalm 37, 21, the wicked borrow and do not repay. How could you ever witness to someone if you've defaulted on a loan to them? Very interesting when you see it. Impossible to tell your landlord that Jesus loves him and has answered all the problems when you haven't paid your last two months' rent. Another one is uh, imperils one's giving. You can't be really faithful with your giving if you have debts. So we're going to look now when to get a student loan. I'm going to show you now when to get a student loan under what circumstances. And then I'll also show you how to pay for your college education without 
ending up with big debts. Now, let me just tell you, well, it may be down here. As a general rule, getting a college degree will enhance your income capability for the rest of your life. Everybody agree with that? So it's important to get education. In the last session, I told you that if you have a college degree, you will double the income you make in your life, which means it determines whether or not you can live, have a vacation, who your friends are, all kinds of stuff. But if you don't have the money to finish your education, it might be appropriate to get a student loan, but only after you've considered the following points. So here's the points that I would share with you. First of all, getting a loan is fairly easy. And some of you are going to groan about that because you probably tried and it's real difficult because you have to fill out all kinds of stuff, including your parents' 1040 IRS forms for the last two years and all that kind of stuff. And you're not really sure whether you're going to get one or not, but paying it back with interest is the hard part. I'm going to tell you something. A lady came to my office. I work at the General Conference. And a lady came to my office. She was 70 years old, and she still owed 40000 in student loans. She will never live long enough to pay it back. Do you understand? Her whole life she's in debt. In fact, some student loans can now be amortized over 30 years, just like your home mortgage. This is incredible. By the way, the lady had gone back in midlife and gotten a master's degree in social work, and she got somehow she was able to get a student loan not only for the education part, but also for living expenses during that time. And I mean, it's a mess, a total mess. Another one most government student loans, government backed student loans, cannot be discharged in bankruptcy. A lot of young people were getting student loans and saying the day they got their degree, sorry, I'm going to file bankrupt and I don't owe any of this money anymore. The government wised up and if you have a government-backed student loan, even if you file for bankruptcy protection, you cannot discharge any taxes you owe the government, any child support or alimony you owe a former spouse, or guess what? Third one is student loans. So it's very interesting. The way to get out from under the obligation to repay the loan is to pay it off or die pretty serious. Make sure the education that you're funding with your student loan will lead to a job, a better job than you now have with higher income. That's why in the last session I mentioned something that you guys, if you're just new here, write down career direct. Uh, that is the, the program that will help you know what your interest and aptitude is for your work experience in your life. This is at crown.org on the internet, www.crown.org. Look for career direct and you can find really, really good help on how to do that a better job. So in other words, you don't get student loans just so you can stay around your friends for another year. Does everybody understand that? The idea is you have to pay it back with interest. Apply for all the grants and scholarships you qualify for because you don't have to pay these back. I mean, it'd be worthwhile even investigating to see all the kinds of things that might be available to you. I mean, there might be somebody that with brown eyes and left-handed like me that can get a student loan just because of that. I mean, a, a grant or a scholarship. There's all kinds of them out there. And I'm sure there's some kind of a grant office here that can help you at school or your schools. But it's important to know. Now, this is one that I wish the parents of all of you were here to hear. I believe that parents owe their children an education. Did you hear what I just said? Now, I'm going to tell you another story, and that is my parents gave me only $10 the whole four years I was here at Southern. So some of them can't help you, and some of them don't see, they feel like it's your responsibility. But I'll tell you an interesting thing. Look up the word inheritance in the Bible. It is always parents giving their adult children farmland. 
not when they were about to die, but when the children became of age so they could begin their own farming process and earn a living. Does everybody understand? They were agrarian society. Now, my children have a son and a daughter. Our son is an attorney and our daughter is the associate editor of Liberty Magazine. I'm going to tell you something interesting. Neither one of them are farmers and neither one want to be a farmer. But our job was to give them an education to train them to become independent adults. Do you understand? So instead of giving them farmland, parents help their children get an education. But you don't just pay their whole way. You do like I said in the last session. Remember, when you become a Christian, you can trust God. But he's not going to do the stuff you can do. So just like Jesus, when he went to heal Lazarus, you know, Sebastian talked about that. He said, where have you laid him? Well, they, Jesus knew, didn't he, where he was? I mean, he knows where everything is. He didn't have to ask them to show him, but he wanted them to get involved. And when they got there, he says, roll away the stone. Well, don't you think Jesus could have just evaporated the stone or had some angels move it? Well, sure, but he said, I'm not going to do what you can do. And then when he came out, Lazarus came out, loose him and let him go. So they had to do three different things in that one story. The greatest miracle of Jesus had the cooperation of people on the earth. And so we do things. We work and we, you know, study and we, we work hard and so on. So that's the point that I want to make from that, that I believe that if you, well, I'll go on to tell you the rest of this. You work and save in the summers and work part-time during the school year. By the way, the, ed, the work that you do during the school year it can't be a lot, probably 20 hours a week or whatever. That is also education for you that you can put down on your resume. Now, when I was here, I worked at the McKee's Bakery for a year, and I worked at uh, a, lo a cabinet shop building kitchen cabinets and, you know, other jobs like that. All the things that I did really helped me to learn to work with other people and to have some job skills when I finished, and I think it's valuable. So we'll go on to the next one. If after doing all the things I told you, that is working in the school year, working in the summer, getting all the scholarships and grants that you need and that you can get, after doing all of this, you still need to borrow for your degree. Don't borrow all you qualify for. Does everybody understand what I mean by that? For example, if I fill out the, the uh, application for student aid and take it to the student aid office and they're going to text me in about a week and say, guess what? Come by the office for the good news. I go by there and say, you qualify for $10,000. What should I do? What do most students do? Take the money and run. Now, the interesting part about it is, what if I only needed $2,500 to finish up that school year? Well, how much should I borrow? $2,500. Because you have to pay it back with interest. And you have to pay it back or die to get out from under the obligation. This is important that I'm telling you about, okay? So just borrow the very minimum you need to pay your bill. Student loans have to be paid off with interest, and the less debt you have upon graduation, the quicker you can pay it off and get onto savings for other things, like a car or a down payment on a house or something like that. Very valuable. Okay, so in an ideal world, there would be no borrowing and no debt, but we don't live in an ideal world. There may be times when it's necessary to borrow. Just make sure that you borrow the very minimum you need and then plan to pay it off as quickly as possible to save on interest charges. So that's important. Now, here's what our family did for, for getting our kids through school. They're not in the proper order, but here's look at the one at the bottom, grants and scholarships. Now, some of you may have small children or you have grandchildren or you have siblings or still in academy. If you do well in the academy, that is academically and get involved in student government or in the choir or the tumbling team or anything like that, when you come to Southern or any one of our schools, they will give you credit for that as part of a scholarship. 
Are you guys all tuned into that? Yeah, a lot of people don't know that, but it is true. Now, listen, I don't know you guys. I only know my own family. So let me just tell you about Melissa, our daughter. Our daughter graduated from Georgia Cumberland Academy, and she had been a good student, and she got a $2,000 a year scholarship to go to Southern. 2000 a year. And of course, that's been some time back. So that's when tuition was like 12000 here or something like that. So it was a great help. But the thing that I want to tell you is, she said, but Daddy, I wanted to go to Andrews University like Andrew, my brother, did. And this is to Southern. And I said, Melissa, don't worry a bit about it. When you're accepted at Andrews, just tell them that Southern offered this to you, and they'll match it. Guess what they did? They matched it. So she got $2,000 a year for each of the four years of college. Now, they don't give you a check, you understand. It goes toward your tuition. But the interesting part about it is you have to keep your grades up and all of that. But that's $2,000 a year less than it would be otherwise. Do you understand? That's important stuff that I'm telling you about. And you don't have to pay it back, of course. So I said, do the best you can down here. Then the next one is student initiative. Both of our kids in the summers, since we were, we actually lived at Calhoun, Georgia, and our kids were village students and didn't live in the dorm, there weren't enough jobs on the campus to provide village students with jobs. So our kids worked at fast food. Our, our son Andrew worked at Taco Bell. Do you guys have Taco Bells where you live? You, you know Taco Bell. Uh, Taco Bell is kind of an interesting place. Uh, our son actually became an expert at Taco Bell. Uh, he worked there three years and in the summers uh, full time a couple times. And uh, he said that if you show up on time at Taco Bell for work three days in a row, they want to make you manager. And the idea is everybody who works there is a kid, you know, looking and making minimum wage. By the way, I would just tell you, any fast food place you go to, it's either going to be a kid or a senior citizen that takes your order. Is it true? Why? Because they only paid minimum wage, and nobody could, you know, raise a family or anything like that on that kind of money. By the way, I also tell you also, we still eat at Taco Bell, but there's only 12 things in the back. It doesn't matter what you order. It's a combination of that in some way. You understand? So it's not rocket science. And the real interesting thing is, th this is really true what I'm going to tell you. They have some kind of meat strips there. I'm not sure what they go to. Uh, I usually get the seven-layer burrito when I go. But anyway, there's these meat strip things. And Andrew, our son, worked close, which meant this one closed at midnight, and they close, and then you have to clean up. So he typically would not get home to like 1 or 1.30 in the morning. So he's a night person even till today. But I'm going to tell you, he brought some of those strips home to give them to our dog, and the dog buried them. I'm serious. It, it really happened. Our, our, daughter, our daughter worked at, at Burger King. This is interesting. And she ended up graduating to be the head cashier at this one Burger King place. But when she started out, she was making French fries. Now, I don't know if you've ever been burnt by French fry grease. When, the, when, the, when you put things in, stuff splashes out, and it can make a hole right in your skin. I mean, this is hard stuff. So she said, Daddy, I don't think I want to do this the rest of my life. And I said, I don't think you do either. Guess what the secret is? Education. So you work. By the way, we've raised our kids to be vegetarian. And... Uh, they're both more vegetarian than ever now. They're both vegan, having worked at those two places. Uh, this is true. What is absolutely true? Okay. So student initiative means you work in the summer. And uh, I wish you were, sometimes I wish you guys were all students, and sometimes I wish you were all parents. But this is just for parents. And this is kind of interesting. Sometimes parents will tell me, when my kid gets home from school in the summer, they'll just say, Dad, Mom, we've just been, you know, working day and night and struggling and studying and everything. And we just kind of like to hang out with our friends this summer and chill out a little bit. And, and you know, do we really have to work? And uh, 
I said, and I tell them, you know, my kids worked every summer. And uh, we told them that when you work in the summer, you save, you can buy, you know, uh, music or clothes or whatever you want to do, but you have to save $1,000. So every summer they both saved, each of them saved $1,000 each summer. Well, people ask me, how did you get your kids to work? Do you know that the Bible has a verse in it that says, he who does not work does not eat? And our kids just love food. And I said, we'll provide the food and the place to stay and you'll help with your school tuition. Both of them have independently thanked us for in teaching them to work and they enjoy work because of that. Okay, here's another one. And this is parental assistance. We told our students, if you get all the grants and scholarships you can do and you work a reasonable amount, then you, when your bill comes, we're going to pay for the balance and you won't owe any student loans. So both of our kids graduate from college with no student loans. But this means family sacrifice, prudent living. We're not buying new cars all this time. You understand? Remember, if you were here the last session, there's that middle section of your life. First your learning years, then the earning years, and then the returning years down here. That middle section, that's what you're doing as you're educating your children. This is important because you want them to be independent adults. Well, I'm going to show you how to get out of debt, and I'll hopefully something that you can plan on. Some problems that people have, not paying bills on time. Some people say, some adults I've even said, well, you know, this month I'm not going to pay this one, I'm going to pay that one. Bad idea. When you miss bills, it really hurts your credit rating, and that's something you don't want to happen. Consistently living on credit. If I have any credibility among you at all, I will tell you a story that you will not believe. And it's very interesting. A man called me and he had 10 credit cards. He's a Seventh-day Adventist person, not living in this state. But he worked a good job that made $7,000 a month. The interesting thing was he had $182,500 on credit cards. That's an outstanding balance that he couldn't pay each month. So every month, his entire check would be to make the minimum payment on every one of those. Now, this is incredible. He was 63 years old and lived in a mobile home upon, and, and he was having to pay rent for the spot it was sitting. You understand credit can be a serious problem if you don't manage it properly. So we're talking about consistently living on credit, being an inconsistent giver. Of all the things that I could tell you, the most important thing is to put God first in your life and do that by being faithful with your tithe and offerings. God will bless you, worrying constantly about the future. So recently, credit card issuers in the United States stuffed mailboxes with more than 7 billion credit card offers. People, businesses, even governments are accepting the offers of credit and sinking deeper and deeper into debt. I attended a seminar uh, for continuing education once, and I was sitting by this Methodist pastor, and he said, uh, we, we both had name badges on, so he looks over and says, Ed, let me tell you something funny that I did. He said, you know all those credit card offers that you get in the mail? He said, last year I got 68 of them. What should you do when you get those? Shred them. Exactly right. Shred them. You can get one of these shredders for like $39 at Staples. We go right through it. Anyway, this guy said to me, uh, by the way, you do, want to, you do want to shred them to get rid of your name on that credit application and so on. At any rate, he said, instead of shredding them, I applied for every one of them and I got 67 credit cards and I have $600,000 line of credit. I said, well, that's interesting. Would you like to try an interesting experiment? 
Go to a car dealer and try to get a loan on an automobile. Nobody will loan you any money because you could bankrupt yourself with your credit cards. You're a poor credit risk. Do you understand? If you have a credit card, you should only have one and it should be a MasterCard or a Visa. Everybody hear that? Never any store brand credit cards ever. No Macy's, no Sears, no Chevron, no Exxon. Do you understand? That's the thing because these companies want you to buy from them all the time. The store brand, you know, that's brand loyalty type stuff. But if you have a credit card that you use and you pay it off every month and so on, that's going to be more valuable to you. Okay. Don't be fooled by the flattery that you get in the mail. This is word manipulation of the credit card companies. They use phrases like, you deserve it. Cash advance as needed. And do, it, do with it as you please, or it makes life easier. This is really, really amazing as people sink deeper and deeper into debt. Well, there's, there's more things I could tell you about that. I'm just going to go on really, really quickly. I don't know that I want to go spend any time on this because time is running out. I want to show you how to get out of debt. But this is what the credit card companies or the lending institutions will look at if you seek a loan. First of all, your character. What is your attitude toward debt? Your capacity, your ability to repay. Do you have any net worth, your, your capital, any collateral, things you can pledge? You, have you seen these places, these sh loan sharks, that if you have a car paid off, you can bring your title down there and get a loan on it and so on? Uh, these are really, and the conditions, the current economy, what your job security is, those kinds of things. So here is how to get out of debt. This is a simple three-step plan that will help anyone, and lots of people have done it already. By the way, the very first thing to do, there's a basic premise, and that would be establish the tithe. This is really valuable stuff, I'm telling you. Proverbs 3 talks about God's blessing. Deuteronomy uh, 28, 1 to 14 talks about God's blessing. Malachi 3, where it talks about bring the tithe and the offerings. God doesn't just say, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing. You don't have room enough to receive it. What else does he say? Verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. I love that. Where God says, I'll make your stuff last longer. This is incredible. Nobody's going to hurt your crops and your job is going to be more secure. All those kind of things. God is in control. And I think people don't understand that. Matthew 6, where you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things, food, clothing, shelter, you understand? That's going to be added unto you. Uh, first thing you do, this is now once you've established the tithe, you, first of all, you declare a moratorium on additional debt. What does that mean? No more credit spending. No more credit spending. Another one is you make a covenant with God. Anybody have an idea of what a covenant is? It's a promise or an agreement. I mean, this, it, law school contracts is all about this kind of thing. The real interesting thing I will just tell you is that I will just tell you that a number of years ago, Kathy and I knelt down beside of our bed, my wife Kathy and I, and we said to God, we're going to make you a promise. And that is any money we get from any source other than our regular income, we will use the money to pay down our debts. We just don't think it's honoring you to be paying all this interest. Let me ask you a question. You think God wants you or your family in debt? Do you think, what would the average person do if they got a windfall or money they weren't expecting? Anybody know? Just spend it. I was in a church not far from here and a man raised his hand when I had, what would you do with the windfall? This guy said, we got $2,500 we weren't expecting. And I said to my wife, how did God know we needed to do riding lawnmower? And he went out and bought himself a new mower. But if you've made the covenant, what would you do with the 2,500? Put it on your debts. That's very, very valuable to know. 
And then the last one is you list all of your debts from the largest to the smallest. And I've got a picture here. This kind of bothers people a little bit because it's a, you know, a triangle. Uh, it has nothing to do with A.L. Williams or the Illuminati or anything like that. It's just a little <laughs> illustration. But I want to show you some things that you'll need to know about money management. If you have debts, there's a plan of debt reduction called snowballing which means most everybody's made a snowman. So if the snow's just right, just wet enough and so on, you can start rolling a snowball and what does it do? Picks up more snow and just gets bigger and bigger. So what I'm gonna show you here is this. If you have all, you guys probably, most of you don't have home mortgages, uh, but you could go from here on down probably. Uh, let me just show you some of the things that you could do. First of all, you have to make a minimum payment on every debt every month. Does everybody understand that? This is very valuable to know. I frequently mention when I'm speaking that my wife Kathy has been the money manager in our house. Usually the ladies are better money managers than men for some reason. And having counseled people for 25 years, I will tell you that more often than not, it's a man who busts the budget and not the woman. It really is true. You know, ladies might go out and buy himself a new pair, herself a new pair of shoes on the credit card or whatever. But when men do things, they buy a new pickup truck or a bass boat or an airplane or something that's really, really expensive. And it just busts the budget all to pieces. So what I'm going to tell you is whoever is the best manager should be the manager in your family. But a lady came to me after one of my seminars and she said, you know, I didn't know that you could pay more than the minimum payment on any of your debts. That's incredible. She says, I'm like your Kathy. I'm the manager in our family. But I'm going to tell you that you have to pay at least a minimum amount, which is all the interest that's due at that point and a little bit of the principal. The point is, once you've made the minimum payment on everyone, concentrate on the bottom. And in this case, I put Visa down here. Does anybody know why I put Visa there? Well, they have high interest rates. That's true. Uh, by the way, interest rates are like 27% right now. And do you know that credit card companies are in collusion? If you have three different credit cards, let's say you have a Discover and a MasterCard and a Visa. Listen carefully now. If you're late paying one of them next month, all three of them will raise your interest rate. It's incredible. And the one will charge you a late fee of $39. The reason I put Visa down here, though, it's the smallest word and it just fit in there better. But I'll just tell you. Okay. What I'm going to tell you is you make the minimum payment on every debt. But then you get any money like you get in a windfall or you work extra or anything. You get some money from your parents or you get your tax return back. You add it to the minimum payment on Visa until Visa is completely paid off. And since I told you about MasterCard or Visa, I would say keep this card. But when you get Sears paid off, cut that one up. Everybody understand? Mm -hmm. Now, there are some things you can do, and I'll, I'll just tell you more about it. But you make the minimum payment, and once that one's paid off, then you can put the minimum payment you were paying on it with the minimum payment on this one, along with any extra money. And most people can get out from under their consumer loan or their consumer debt in about two years. The real difficult one is the home mortgage. And if we were a different group, I would tell you about how to do that one. And most people can pay their house off in seven years or less if you follow good principles. Yes, please. Yeah. Is it a problem in that situation? 
I think that the fact that you have a lot of credit cards lets the, the uh, reporting agencies know that you have that liability available. And I will just tell you that re recently we replaced our kitchen appliances and we bought some stainless steel appliances and fixed it up and so on. And they said, you know, if you had a, a serious credit card and we'll even open one today, you get 10% off. Well, you know, if you buy $800 worth of appliance, that's 80 bucks. Well, soon we paid it off the first payment and then we can cancel the thing. So you can redo it, you know, every time you need to. Uh, remember that I'm telling you it's not sinful, it's just a bad idea to have lots of credit cards. I mean, I've talked to lots of people that have many credit cards with debts on every one of them. So if you pay them off every month, there's one other problem. Studies show that people like me who pay their credit card bill off every month, because you have a credit card, you actually spend more money than if you had had cash. It's just a little easier, you understand? It's probably safer, and I travel every weekend, and so I have to have a credit card to rent cars and you know those kinds of things. But I will just tell you that minimize the amount of cards, and typically you don't want to use store brand cards. I would typically say Visa or MasterCard would be better. Uh, mainly because they focus you to spend more in their store, okay. probably, yeah. Okay. Another thing that's very interesting, Sears has uh, been taken to court in New England many times recently, and they're hopefully going to get better about it, but if you owe less than $500 on your Sears card, they will send you a statement that says none do. Has anybody ever gotten one of those? I have. None do. It's like $485. So they don't want you to pay it off. They actually will then charge you interest on that unpaid balance, and next time it will be over $500, so they'll charge you that. Then you make a payment. You understand? Sears, actually, it's been proven in court, Sears makes more money on the finance charges it charges its customers than on the profit margin on the sale of the merchandise. So the idea is you want to be a cash person if you can. Okay? Uh, we're going to go on here, and I'll show you some additional things that you can do. First of all, establish a budget. Oh, do you have a question? Yes. It's a United Airlines visa. So all the money that we spend, we can uh, get mileage to get free tickets. Uh, my wife Kathy travels with me almost every weekend, and she's with me this weekend. She's actually going to another seminar right now because she's heard this one before. Uh, <laughs> but we actually get very, very interesting trips. And uh, for example, I'll just tell you the next three. We're going to be going next weekend to Tulsa, Oklahoma, you know, to the South Tulsa Adventist Fellowship. The following weekend, I'm speaking in Yosemite. And uh, Kathy reminds me that we're a team and she wanted to go with me on that particular trip. And, you know, then we're going to Camelback Church in Phoenix. And whenever we get a trip to Norway or to South Africa, you know, we can just get a free ticket because we've been able to do this. So use your credit cards to your advantage, not to the credit card company's advantage. That's the important thing. Yes, please. Well, uh, yeah, I actually have a Marriott card in my briefcase right here and one for uh, Hampton Inn or Hilton Honors and that kind of thing, but I don't have the credit card. I just have the frequent user card, which allows you to have certain benefits there, you know, a special room or whatever. Uh, I don't think that uh, Marriott uh, frequent stays would be as valuable to most people as being able to travel to some destination, but it's not a bad idea. Remember, use it for your benefit and not for the credit card benefit. Okay. Excuse me? I got a question about equity. Oh, sure. Uh, let's say somebody's taking out a, a mortgage on their home and then the home uh, adds value over time. Mm -hmm. Usually they do. In this economy, it's lost so much. Yeah. You really don't have equity. What I've heard is uh, you take, you get the kind of an equity loan taken out and you just leave the money in one spot so that if you get sued, 
the uh, lawyer can look at your statement and stuff, and they can see that you they have you have no assets that they can take. Is this true or? Well. <laughs> Typically, uh, attorneys will sue you for every little thing they can find, right. and uh, it, that would not be difficult to discover, I wouldn't think. I mean, if they can find assets in Swiss banks, they're going to figure out. I mean, if it's just a, you know, a local county attorney, they probably wouldn't find it. But the problem is, then it looks like a, it still is going to be an asset rather than a liability if you have it in a savings account somewhere. You see what I'm saying? The big problem I thought you were going to ask me about was reverse mortgages, and that's a big thing with all the retirement people coming right now. Sure. Typically, bad idea, because it ties up all the equity in your house. You only get a certain portion of it. Huge expenses to get a reverse mortgage, sometimes up to 10% of the value, and, and it's, it's a real, real serious mess, I would think. By the way, we have a whole section on reverse mortgages in the new book. Anybody else have a question or comment? Yes, please. Yes. The question is whether you should use uh, credit from your home or ask, uh, equity to pay down credit cards and so on. The answer is yes under certain conditions. And the certain conditions would be that you pay them all off and then cut the cards up. So you don't get back in debt again because if you do that again the second time you're going to go bankrupt. That's the real serious problem. And then, of course, if you use your line of credit up to $100,000 value, you can deduct it as tax, you know, interest off your income tax. For most people, it's not a good idea because they won't close their credit card accounts and they get back into that same situation. Okay? Here's some additional assistance. Establish a budget, set goals for your family, like saying next year we're going to have the car paid off, destroy credit cards if you're not paying them off every month and so on, purchase depreciating items with cash, begin economy measures, like turning lights off in rooms you're not using and so on, have a sale. Now, this is not really appropriate for you guys as college students and academy students, but people my age have collected junk their whole life. And Kathy and I had a yard sale several years ago for stuff that we no longer needed, and we made an entire one year's worth of house payments on our house for one day's yard sale. Now, I'm just going to tell you, it's incredible. You have to only pay the principal to do that, you understand. So the amazing thing is, get rid of stuff. It's all going to get burned up anyway. So the whole point is, don't keep stuff you don't need. That's really, really valuable. Okay, we're going to talk about this. Uh, well, our time is gone. I'm really sorry, but let me just tell you, everything is on the Internet. You can download this program. It's called Dealing With Debt. Uh, it's in the Stewardship Resources AdventistStewardship.org is the website. And I, I want to honor my fellow teachers. Some of you may want to go to the other one for the next session. We have a 10-minute break. We're going to have a prayer, and then you guys can go to the next one, or you can stay here if you'd like. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessings of your Holy Spirit to each of us. We thank you for the guidance that you've given us in our lives and the many good verses that we have on Christian money management. We pray that you'll bless us with wisdom and the power to be obedient. Dismiss us now with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.